And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance, senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to have you guys here today in the studio. Every time we start this program, we have a discussion ahead of time. And I don't have the mic turned on, and there's so many good discussions that precede this time. I think, oh man, we missed some good stuff. But uh, anyway, hopefully a lot of that will uh, be covered now. Today we're talking about the Word, the Word of God. And remember we had a whole series on the Reformation recently, and we were talking about the solas. And one of those distinctives, very important, is that of sola scriptura. And Mark, what did we have to say about that? What does that mean exactly? Well, sola scriptura means that the the sole authority that we have for knowing who God is, and actually even knowing who we are, is scripture itself. That mm-hmm. is the sole authority. And tied up with that is how do we look at scriptures in terms of, is it just another book or is it God's inerrant word? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a key issue as well. Mm-hmm. So when I am instructed on things concerning God and how I relate to God and even this world, the starting point becomes what? It would become Scripture because God reveals in the Scripture who he is. And Mm -hmm. and that's a key thing. This is God's revelation to us. Otherwise, uh, our imaginations run wild, and we make of God all kinds and manners of, uh, of things. And yeah. uh, as Romans 1 says, you know, instead of honoring the Creator, we honor the creatures instead. So isn't this, uh, you might say curious, uh, I hope nobody takes that wrong, but God um, has documented for us His will, and He's written it out. Right. Isn't that marvelous how yeah. He's documented that for us, so there's really no doubt. Yes, sometimes it's hard to understand it all. Some some of these things, of, particularly the Apostle Paul and his, his writings, are hard to understand at times, but it's all there. It's there, uh, and and the interesting thing, uh, maybe, maybe one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, is the one, of course, in 2 Timothy 3.16, and almost... Uh, everyone who's grown up in Sunday school somewhere along the line may have at least memorized this or familiar with the wording, all scripture mm. is inspired by God. That means it has its origin in him and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. We have a doctrine um, of the sufficiency of scripture. God has revealed himself through his holy word in such a way that we have all that we need to understand who God is and what he has done for us in Christ and to know how to live the Christian life. Mm. It's, it's, it's complete. You know, that makes me think of something. You know, sometimes people might be inclined to think, oh, I wish I lived in the early days of the apostles and, uh, you know, prior to the Bible being fully written and everything to see what's going on. And yet, in a way, um, we have a great advantage, don't we? Because now the Bible is is complete. 
All 66 books are mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. They're documented. We could say there's no question as to what the will of God is. He's communicated it. He's, he's written it down for us. Yeah. Well, we have it in our own language. Mark is somewhat of a, as yeah. we were talking before, a bit of a, I'm going to say expert. I am. He is. Uh, In this field, he studied a great deal about English translations, and it's a great blessing, isn't it, Mark? It is. And and one of the problems that you have, you you talked about the sufficiency of scriptures, John. When you look at them as not being quite sufficient, and you think, well, we need something else, all manner of problems comes. Okay, you, and soon, yeah. soon the scripture gets tucked so far to the background as to almost get lost. And in some cases, it completely gets lost. And I think mm-hmm. that's what happened in the medieval church. <laughs> you looked at it, and, and you had other authorities coming in. You had the authority of the pope. You had authority of the councils coming in. And suddenly the scripture got tucked farther and farther back until you had some men, like John Wycliffe, before the Reformation, who said things are wrong. Mm -hmm. And I know things are wrong because I'm looking at the Scriptures, and the Scriptures don't mesh with what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. They don't measure up. And so he he said one of the key things was to translate the Scriptures. So Wycliffe translated the Scriptures in the the late 14th century, 1390s. Actually, he didn't do it, but he had a number of people work with him to do Mm -hmm. it. John Purvis and, and Nicholas of Hereford. And both of these guys uh, worked on the translations, but understand what they were doing. They were looking first at the Vulgate, the Latin translation. They were translating from that, mm-hmm. and they were writing it out by hand. This is pre-Gutenberg. Gutenberg doesn't come <laughs> on the scene till the middle of, of the 15th century. Yeah. You know, 14, what is it, 1454, mm-hmm. something like that. A, a great and, and marvelous providence, the it, printing press. Amen. It was. That's right. We it, have to thank God for that. That's right. And, and, and then when you have him coming in, then you, you hit the time of the Reformation, then the, the scriptures are printed. And surprisingly, surprisingly to Tyndall, at least initially, he expected that there were a number of people who were going to be enthused about his translating the Bible into English. Mm-hmm. So any milkmaid or any plowboy could read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he found out that they weren't happy mm-hmm. about that. And that's why he had to flee to uh, the continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the um, uh, uh, themes of the, of the uh, period of the 16th century was ad fontis. Back to the sources. Yeah, And Back to the sources meant for the reformers, back to the scriptures, because they understood that God had given the scriptures and that all ministers of his, all church councils Mm -hmm. stand under that word and are judged by it. They do not stand above it. They stand under it. And in standing under the word, we are judged by the word of God. Now, I am thankful that God in his providence through the Spirit has sent great and wonderful teachers Mm -hmm. to explicate the scriptures. I'm a great admirer of the mind and ability of St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. I'm a great admirer of St. Anselm. I'm a great admirer of Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Wesley. Mm -hmm. But uh, they stood under the word... And they taught it as God had given it and revealed it. That's a key point, especially if you go back to the the, uh, Diet of Augsburg. 
where you have the Reformers coming and the, and the Catholics, and the debate is there. And Melanchthon gives uh, the, the confession, uh, the Augsburg Confession, the confession that they have, and the scriptures backing it up. And one of the men, one of the rulers there, William of Bavaria, looks over to Johannes Eck, who had debated Luther before and who was one of the, the great Catholic scholars. He says, can you refute this? And he says, with the fathers I can, but not with scriptures. And then William of Bavaria says, do I understand that Lutherans stand on the scriptures and we outside them? <laughs> and that was the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, listener, today we're talking about the Reformation and particularly the Word, that is the Scriptures, and sola scriptura. What does that mean? We're fleshing that out today. In the studio with me is the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. John Vance, senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Stay with us now. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. to hear what you would say word of God speak would you pour down like rain washing my eyes to see your majesty to be still and know that you're in this place please let me stay We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. 
Today we're talking about the Reformation and the notion of sola scriptura, trying to flesh that out a little bit in a very practical way. And uh, who wants to uh, continue on here next? Let me uh, point to a passage of scripture, maybe two, that uh, show the effectiveness of the Word of God. I I can remember Mm. from the prophet Isaiah where uh, it clearly indicates that the Word of the Lord has a special quality, that it will not return void, but will Mm. accomplish the purpose whereunto the Lord has sent it. Mm. And certainly the writer of Hebrews picks up on this theme when he says, Mm. for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow, mm-hmm. and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What Amen. a powerful word. Yeah. And of course, in Romans, another passage, Paul is so confident of the gospel that he uses a nice little English um, literary device called litotes, which means understatement, <laughs> when he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, but it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I often think that the gospel is so powerful whenever you present it, you know, and sometimes even in terms of arguing and uh, apologetics, you mm-hmm. know, we can get so caught up in the apologetic argument, and, and I'm convinced more and more it's the simple gospel which really convicts. It the is. apologetics is good, and it's important to do that and to argue for the existence of God and, and all of that. But mm-hmm. then you give the gospel, and, and I think it's the power of the Holy Spirit that just takes it does, and yeah. moves, moves people's hearts. And, and that's why it was so important. That's why, you know, you got guys like uh, William Tyndall who saw that. And he translated the Bible under great duress. The first editions that he had, he had to flee out of Germany quickly when they were, were hunting him. He eventually wound up in Belgium. And his first New Testament was in 1526, and he kept working on that. And then he was captured. And in 1536, he was burned at the stake mm. for, for that. But his last mm. words were reported to have been, Open the eyes of the King of England. And the manner and power of the Holy Spirit, here it is, Henry VIII, the defender of the faith. He was called that by the Pope. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and God used this man who was an extreme opponent of Luther, of the Reformation, Mm -hmm. and still used his wandering eye for the young ladies, I guess, if you Hmm. will. He had six wives. uh, to, (laughs) To be a part, so that in 1539... Henry VIII is declaring that the Bible should be translated. (laughs) And so he has Thomas Cromwell, and sometimes it's called Cromwell's Bible. It's also been called the Great Bible. It was translated in 1539, and what was the basis for this Bible? Tyndall's Bible. (laughs) (laughs) It was Tyndall's Bible. And it was worked over by Miles Coverdale. And uh, and so we have the Bible coming, uh, and Mm. God using that. Go ahead. We have to thank God for the uh, yeah. the, the great outpouring of uh, His Spirit upon those who had such courage. I, yeah, that's right. That history is glorious. Um, yeah. And God even used Henry, who uh, 
was all over the lot, you might say, in yeah. terms of his morals. And <laughs> he fancied himself, by the way, as a theologian. And what do you know that or not? I yes. guess the title he received, yes. he tried to live up to, was got very opinionated and dogmatic about a whole range of things. But you know, um, uh, God does overrule and yeah. rule the uh, situation, and uh, he uses the yeah. wrath of men and That's their right. foibles to his own praise. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Why would people be so upset over translations into the native tongue of people so they could actually read the Word of God? Well, one of the, the arguments that was given was that if people are allowed to do that, they'll have all kinds of different interpretations. Mm-hmm. And there are some. Mm-hmm. And so you know this question today. Well, look at all the churches and denominations. That's because right. of all the different interpretations. I would say it's not. If you look at all the different denominations, most of it's because people can't get along with each other. Mm. I don't know what you would think about this, uh, John, but I would say there are probably no more than a half dozen really different theologies that people who believe in biblical inerrancy and believe in sola scriptura come up with. And most of those differences are not very That's true. Uh, We we Mm -hmm. do have to remember that uh, uh, even Peter, uh, and you alluded to this earlier, remarked that some of Paul's writings were difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and we also read the Bible. The Bible is given not to any individual, but again, like a sacrament, it's given to the church. church yeah. Yeah. And so we read together, but on the other hand, everyone ought to be able to be free to enjoy and revel in the Word of God and to to read it. But you're right. I don't think there really is as much difference as most people might think. We know from the Scriptures Good clearly point. what God has done for right. us in Christ. We are Trinitarian. We believe that Jesus indeed is divine who came into the world to seek and to save the lost. There's no disagreement on those no. fundamentals. Mm-hmm. No, and, and and there isn't. I and mean, some will say, well, what about the Jehovah's Witness? They, yeah, but they have their own Bible. And I don't know a decent scholar that looks at the New World Translation no. and says it, it's a proper translation. Yeah. It, it, you know what? I've noticed that some of the very liberal scholars who translate the Bible, uh, I'm not as jaundiced toward them as... Many, because I know they want to to do their scholarly best. Mm-hmm. What I've discovered is that uh, their problem is not understanding what the Bible teaches, but it's believing that's what a, the Bible teaches. That's right. Most scholars come it. to the same conclusion that the prologue to John's Gospel is clearly setting forth the divinity and yeah. the humanity of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. as it does throughout the Bible. But they may not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Mm. And they don't like it. They don't like it. And actually that goes back to your question, Dan. Really, why did people, why did they not want the Bible translated? And there was a lot of people who realized, as William of Bavaria was saying, they were outside of scriptures. And they didn't want that made manifest. Mm -hmm. And, And the scriptures did talk to a lot during the Reformation. And here again in God's providence... We have Henry dying, then we have his son, Edward, taking over and dying very quickly, and Mary coming. And some would say, well, Mary's Catholic, she caused all the, the, all the persecution. Well, that was very fortuitous because that caused a bunch of them to go to Geneva and translate what was the Geneva Bible hmm. in 1560. Now that, by the way, is the first English translation that has verses in it. It is mm-hmm. also an English translation that had a lot of commentary on the side. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. a lot which some of the the monarchists and some of the the Catholics did not like, and uh, didn't like that mm-hmm. one bit. And and, and uh, but it was also the Bible that the Pilgrims brought to America. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it was the King James before the King James. It, yeah. They had tremendous authority. It yeah. did. It yeah. did. And in fact, they tried to the Bishop's Bible was made Matthew Parker. Did Bishop's Bible to try to take over from the Geneva Bible got no traction at all. Everybody still loved the Geneva Bible, <laughs> and in fact, uh, when uh, James uh, became king, and he had the Hampton Court Conference, and and uh, the Puritans met with him, he was no friend of the Puritans. Hmm. Uh, he was uh, very much a Catholic sympathizer. He didn't give them anything, and some people say the one bone he gave them was he said, "Well, we need a." A new translation of the Bible, and that was the King James yes, Bible. Most I don't. I don't think it was a bone to them. I mm. think he was. I don't think he liked the the Geneva Bible either. Hmm. But understand, I don't think the King James Bible really got traction till about the 18th century. But when mm-hmm. it did, though, uh, it, it did. does something for the English language. Uh, 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 there are a couple of books out. Uh, great books on the history of the King James Bible, and uh, it, it is clear uh, from a literary standpoint that the King James Bibles had an enormous impact right. on shaping the English language, mm-hmm. uh, as long with Shakespeare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Shakespeare was using, I believe, Geneva. That's right. And the King James Bible, I believe, I can't remember what the exact statistics are, is about 80% Tyndall. That's true. <laughs> That's true. The name uh, keeps coming up. Yeah, <laughs> William Tyndall. How, we have to credit using. Tyndall. Yeah. So here we have uh, a bunch of translations. Some are very good. Others maybe are not as good as some. And yet um, we don't want to overreact to translations because God has used them to bring his word to people so that they could understand his word. At the same time, there's a balance, isn't there? Yeah. It's not like I can just sit down with my Bible and all by myself, outside of the church, uh, just get in a, a room and just study and come to complete truth all alone. It's interesting, a number of uh, cults have been started mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, prideful notion that I alone am the sole interpreter and arbiter. Right. Uh, I won't mention the names of some groups that got started in those mm-hmm. contexts. But yes, the Bible uh, must be read within the context uh, of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think most Christians understand that. That's why they go to church. That's right. That's why they're willing to listen to their minister who's been appointed as a teacher of God to help them interpret the Scriptures. On the other hand, I think we maybe need, before we wrap this up, point out the difference between a translation and, let's say, for instance... A paraphrase or an amplification. Yeah, good question. Because uh, I, I do have people ask me, number one, uh, how, how do we distinguish the difference? Uh, Mark, you, you again have done a lot of work yeah. in those areas. Yeah. Understand a paraphrase. Very often what a paraphrase, and one of the biggest paraphrases that I, I remember that came out was the Living Bible. Yeah. And Ken Taylor did it, and he basically... I, I don't think he started with the Greek. He started, I think, with the... I'm not even sure he knew that. I doubt if he did, no, knew it. He, no I think signs. he looked at his King James Bible, and he basically interpreted it and then rewrote it 
so it would be plain, and I think initially it was for his children, if I'm not mistaken. I, I thought so. I seem to remember I, that. I, I think it, that's what he did, and and I often paraphrase the scriptures. I paraphrase other people, you know, just trying to give the idea. And so the, the paraphrase is to try to give the idea, but understand when you're doing that, you're doing a lot of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. of necessity, a translator always has to do some interpretation. Mm-hmm. But there's two ends of the translation spectrum. One is what they call dynamic equivalence, and the other is called literal. Literal is word for word. Now, if you get a word for word translation, you get a translation like Young's literal translation, and you can't understand it. Hmm. Because it it may be word for word from the Greek, but it's lousy English. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, so you've got to, but still. Those who adhere to the literal will say, okay, I'm going to try to make it as accurate to the uh, to the Greek as I can uh, without sacrificing English. The, the dynamic equivalent says, I'm just looking at thoughts. Mm-hmm. And here's another problem with the dynamic equivalent. And God uses all of them, so I don't, I don't mean to pick on right, right. them. But for certain people, uh, I remember that I gave my father-in-law a living... Bible, my wife and I gave him that. It was the year, either the year before we were married or, or the first year after we were married. He sat down and read that thing all afternoon. It helped him, in other it words. It helped him, in yeah. other words. You know, uh, sometimes that simple English is a very helpful thing, you mm-hmm. know, so I don't want to detract from that. And yet, there can be some real failures w- with that. Mm-hmm. One, that the dynamic equivalent is saying, let's just give the idea. We're going to translate the idea, and we might not get literal to the words, but we're going to get to the idea. In so doing, they might do a couple of other things. They might turn around and say, well, you know what? Our society today doesn't like, uh, quote-unquote, sexist language, and some of this Bible language seems to be sexist. Mm-hmm. And so they change that. And, and maybe uh, the Bible sounds a little too anti-Semitic. Oh, well, let's change some things so it doesn't, in, in, in actuality, what they're doing is they're actually changing what is actually being I see. said. You know, that's no different than what uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have done. You yeah. bring a preconceived theology and understanding and foist it upon the scriptures, right. the, mm-hmm. the manuscripts, and what do you end up with? You end up uh, truncating or shortchanging or even perverting exactly. the basic... Revelation that God has given to yeah, us. Exactly. Yeah. And there's one other thing that, that it does. And a lot of times what they'll do is that in trying to make it so simple, they'll say, ah, oh, metaphors. You know, metaphors mm-hmm. are hard to understand. And I, I'm going to mention the translation. Mm-hmm. It, the New Living Translation, not the paraphrase, but the New Living Translation was been very highly touted. It fits in this dynamic equivalent situation. Okay. If you read Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of scoffers. You know, mm-hmm. you go through that, does not, you know, walk or, or stand or sit. Mm-hmm. Great things. They're not there. Mm-hmm. The metaphors are totally taken out, and, and the yeah. beauty of the passage is taken out, yeah. I think. Well, you know what? I just looked at the clock here, gentlemen. We are way out of time. <laughs> You're listening to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting in the studio today with me has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. John Vance, senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. We've been talking about Sola Scriptura. 
and trying to flesh that out a little bit and understand that better. And uh, since we are out of time, we'll invite you back next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Thanks so much for tuning in our way today, and may our Lord richly bless you as you serve Him. <music>